I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. This podcast contains explicit language and discusses sexual content that may be triggering for some listeners. You're listening to Alone, a love story. I'm Michelle Parisi. Chapter 21. Courage. The Bad One. The first time I break up with the man with the white shirt is on his 38th birthday. Halloween, 2013. The very same week as my own birthday and the tarot card reader and Lou Reed dying and the divorce coming through. What a fucking week. I tell the man with the white shirt, it's over. I'm upset he's spending the next night with another woman, the rockabilly redhead. I gave you tonight, he says. I chose to spend my actual birthday with you and see her tomorrow. Like he's awarded me the highest honor. I'm repulsed by him for a moment. This ranking, this sharing of himself. What a great guy. This doesn't work for me, I say. This is over between us. I wait until 1 a.m. to do all this shouting, after we've had sex. Happy birthday. The next night, the vampire version of me crawls out of her apartment and onto the streets. I'm hungry for blood. The blood of anyone will do. I don't even care. For the past three months... I was convinced love had found me again. But I was wrong. I want to forget White Shirt ever existed. I want to forget that he's spending the day after his birthday with his second favorite not-girlfriend. I want to forget the ex-husband, who texted some woman he was trying to hook up with tonight but sent it to me, by accident. Honest to God. And so I drink all the alcohol I can. All the booze I wasn't drinking these past few happy months before I realized Rockabilly Redhead existed. I dance and cry and dance more. I down tequilas. I take home a stupid boy I just met and don't even like that much. I'm almost blackout drunk as he climbs on top of me. And then, instead of being numb to it all, I burst into hysterical tears. I ask him to stop. I ask him to leave. 
I say, I'm sorry, I changed my mind, I'm sorry. I say, I'm so fucked up. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done this. I'm too sad. Please leave. I changed my mind. I'm too sad. I'm too sad. He does stop, but he refuses to leave. He yells at me for being a tease. He yells at me for being fucked up. He yells at me for changing my mind. He yells and yells. I'm shaking so hard. All I want is for him to not be here. All I want is for this to not be my life. And so I give him $50. I don't know why, for cab fare and damages? He takes it, calls me a fucking cunt, and leaves. He finally leaves. I want to call the man with the white shirt, but also I don't, in case he's in the middle of having sex with Rockabilly Redhead. I don't want her night to be ruined also. So I text a crazed message about what just happened to me. He doesn't answer it. Not until the next afternoon. He calls me with excuses for why he didn't see my text until the morning and why he was too busy with other stuff to reach out to me. I cry and cry to him about the stupid boy who wouldn't leave and how scared I was and how sad, but he can't understand me. Not through my hysterical tears and the spotty cell reception. And even if he could hear my words, he could never understand what they mean. He could never understand what this is like for me. I want you to know that later on, the man with the white shirt makes a promise to always answer my calls. He tells me if for some reason he doesn't and something is really wrong, I should call a second time and he will answer no matter what. He keeps this promise, this commitment. No matter how inconvenient, no matter who he's with, no matter how late it is or how drunk and belligerent I am, he answers. He always answers. After that night, the bad night, the night with the crazy guy I had to pay to leave, I hate myself for being so stupid. Again. I spend the next three weeks in a trance. Wondering how I would survive my own spiral of booze and bad choices. Missing the comfort of white shirt. The fun. I broke up with him because he wasn't right for me. And I try to honor my decision. He tries to honor it too. But as you well know, we are very, very bad at it. We last... 20 days before we meet in a restaurant close to my house. He's already there at a table when I walk in, 
and he stands when he sees me. He pulls out my chair and waits. When I see him there, like that, it feels like the most confusing punch I've ever felt. It feels like knives in my gut, like icicles, like fireworks. It feels great, terrible and great, all at the same time, the best terrible ever. When he hugs me, I inhale as much of his scent as possible and my whole body relaxes. He says he's so happy to see me. He says he missed me so much. He says he spent the last three weeks listening to every bit of audio there is of me. My radio documentaries and essays, the show I produce each week, recordings of me singing. Oh man, coming here was a huge mistake. I should have walked away for good when I broke up with him on his birthday. Fuck. After dinner, he kisses me on the street outside the restaurant, and I know we're ruined. Now we'll be tied together from this point on, going round the same loop. Now we're in our very own indie film, and I'm Julie Delpy, and he's Ethan Hawke, but browner, and we're just going to walk around the city having a conversation for the next ten years. Road to Nowhere It's a Sunday, sometime in the second summer after the bomb. I'm dropping Bertie off at her father's, and he makes me an espresso. It's in one of my grandmother's old cups, dark brown ceramic, a bolt of my childhood served up by my ex-husband. Here in his apartment, we sit at my old Formica table, having a coffee in my nunna's cups as we fold Bertie's laundry. She's playing in her room. We're just talking about regular stuff, nothing to do with anything in particular, when he suddenly grabs me and kisses me. Hard. Long. But so much passion. He's never done that before. I mean, since the breakup, we've only ever kissed while having sex, so I'm taken a little off guard. We just do that for a while until I casually stop him. We finish folding the clothes, and I leave soon after. Did it melt some part of me? I'm not going to lie and say it didn't, but so what? Between the ex-husband and the man with the white shirt, I've had it with these sporadic bursts of love and affection, the reeling in and casting out. This isn't the love I want. I want to be loved the way I love, with conviction and risk in equal parts, invested and hopeful and honest. The way it seemed for us both when we first met, back when he was still just the scientist to me back when he was the most fearless person I'd ever met, besides myself. We were well-suited back then, 
because life was a thing we both approached with the same spirit, a mix of adventure, independence, and enthusiasm. There was this time once at the end of 1999 and the beginning of us. The scientist had a rented car, and one of us suggested, let's run away somewhere for the night. So we did. We drove north of the city with absolutely no plan, no belongings, telling no one. We escaped the city, our lives, and felt more free in running than we did standing still. We just drove and drove, only stopping when we were about to run out of gas. At an old motel on an exit off the highway, we got a room for the night. We didn't even know where we were, and it didn't matter. But it's funny now, isn't it? The first trip we took together was to nowhere. Hello, I'm Jess Milton. For 15 years, I produced The Vinyl Cafe with the late, great Stuart McLean. Every week, more than 2 million people tuned in to hear funny, fictional, feel-good stories about Dave and his family. We're excited to welcome you back to the warm and welcoming world of The Vinyl Cafe with our new podcast, Backstage at The Vinyl Cafe. Each week, we'll share two hilarious stories by Stuart, and for the first time ever, I'll tell you what it was like behind the scenes. Subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts. They meet. I'm sitting on the edge of the playground, half watching as Bertie plays. It's the usual scenario, me sitting alone, surrounded by happy couples, chatting and laughing with other happy couples while their multiple children run around screaming. But today, I'm not as bothered as I usually am by these loving, intact families. Today, I sit here, butterflies swirling around my head. Lovey, dovey, gooey, complicated butterflies for the man with the white shirt. Complicated, complicated butterflies. White shirt is texting me. He's on his bike and going to drop by the park, he says. I think hard on this. I don't want Bertie to meet any man in my life unless that man means serious business. Serious in the traditional sense. He's got to be my boyfriend. And White Shirt, as we all know, is not my boyfriend. He's the not boyfriend. Bertie is six years old at this point and isn't very physically affectionate. She refuses to be hugged or touched by almost anyone but her dad and I. Even then, she manages to worm her way out of our arms in a matter of seconds. It's like she has no use for most people. She's met a lot of my friends, both men and women, and although she's friendly and polite, she doesn't usually pay all that much attention to them. So I figure there's no harm in the man with the white shirt coming by the park to sit with me a bit. She won't even notice. When he arrives at the playground, it's like 
extra sunlight was ordered in. And a wind machine. And sparkly mist. I can smell every single flower in the park. He gets off his bike, smiles, and I have to remember to breathe. He hugs me, and I'm super stiff. I don't know how to reconcile the volcanic eruption in my body with the wholesomeness of this playground. Fuck. As we sit down, Birdie, who never pays attention to me or anyone in the playground, suddenly comes running over. Hi, she says to the man with the white shirt. She doesn't acknowledge me at all. Do you want to see Sir Mew? Sir Mew is a tiny eraser in the shape of a white cat. Yeah, I do, he says. And before I know it, they're playing with eraser cats and laughing and talking like, no big deal. It's a big deal to me. My two worlds are colliding. I really thought he was just going to drop by for a bit and then leave. But instead, he's deep in storyline creation with Birdie, and this is all so unexpected. Here she is, draped over him, touching him even. Why hasn't she gone back to her friends in the playground? What is going on? White Shirt suggests we get some frozen yogurt, and Birdie is thrilled. I agree, but it's like I do it from a distance. This wasn't supposed to happen. She isn't supposed to love him so immediately, like I did. He isn't real. His love is only partial. It has limits. I need to protect her, but this is all happening so fast. This can't be good. Walking through the park, the three of us, my child who touches no one reaches for his hand. And just like that, walking along the path, we look like a family. Just like that, it's so easy for my heart to be swindled. Frozen yogurt with sprinkles and cookie dough and Jube jubes. Obviously, he loves kids, but has never been a parent. She's laughing with that husky Janis Joplin voice of hers, and it makes everyone in the shop smile. My obstinate child is suddenly delightful in public. It's hard not to make it about him. It's hard not to be swept away by the fact that his presence has calmed my little tempest of a daughter the exact way he made me feel when I first met him. Calm. On the street, we say goodbye, but Bertie won't have any of it. She jumps on the man with the white shirt, like takes a running jump onto his back, screaming, No, don't go! Take me with you! He laughs and hugs her and doesn't seem uncomfortable at all. We'll hang out again! he promises her, as I try to pry her off his body. She's unbelievably strong and will not let go of him, her mother's daughter, through and through. 
White Shirt is beaming. He's had so much fun. But my insides are a mess. He can't be monogamous. He doesn't know if he can be in a committed relationship. I love you! Birdie shouts as we cross the street. And this is how they meet. The man with the white shirt and my birdie. Their relationship becomes so deep so quickly. It grows easily into its own thing over the next several years. He teaches her to play the drums. They walk his dog together. They build elaborate Lego structures. She hugs him like hugging is what she does. He picks her up from school or watches her on summer days while I'm working. They call it Camp White Shirt. For years, there will be one or two nights a month where I get home from work to find him cooking dinner while Bertie happily plays nearby. These are the only nights I look forward to going home. The anticipation of the life going on inside. The warmth of light and food and other human bodies that floods me the second I walk in the door. The warmth. The three of us at the table, joking and eating like a family. The way they cut each other off, trying to tell me a funny story. How she writes out our dessert orders on a little notepad, then returns with three pudding cups and three espresso spoons neatly laid out on a tray. In these moments, I glow. Watching them, listening, feeling whole again. But his phone keeps beeping. Soon he'll be gone. Out. Somewhere. With someone. And Birdie and I will be back to a family of two. The warm light slightly dimmed. The man with the white shirt comes in and out like this for years and years. I let him. I encourage it. I want it, even if it's occasional. We aren't a couple to Birdie. We don't kiss in front of her. He doesn't sleep over. She'll only know us as friends, unless a miracle happens and we ever become a real couple in a real relationship. This is a thing I never stop hoping for. A thing I wait for, even while I move forward. I can do that, you know. Wait and move at the same time. Bertie told the man with the white shirt she loved him the very first day they met. It was a sign. Wasn't it? My head says one thing, my heart says the other. Why can't they just get along with each other? And my feet won't budge. My mouth won't stop with questions. Why can't they just pick a direction to go? Then go.
bits and pieces. You're amazing. You're so on top of things. Your life is so in order, says Revival. Usually a man of few words, but not tonight for some reason. Are you kidding? I'm a mess. Man, you're not a mess at all. You've got it all happening for yourself. You manage it all. He gives me a squeeze. I'm surprised by his sudden candor, the way he's speaking about me admiringly, as if he's speaking about someone else, not me. Not the woman who just lets him come and go. The woman who asks no questions. Revival. This man I met years ago on a dance floor and has been my semi-regular lover ever since. Every few weeks, it's always the same routine. A text, a bit of small talk, hours of sex, he leaves. Revival pulls me onto his chest and I nestle my face there against his smooth, smooth skin. I wish you could just sleep over, I say, for the first time ever, and I mean it. I wish I could too. I wish a lot of things, he says. And so we lie there, 3 a.m., wrapped up in each other, two strangers in a way, but also weirdly connected, too. This is what it is. This is me, taking the little bits and pieces that the men in my life offer. Revival asks me how it's going with the man with the white shirt, and I sigh and roll my eyes and complain like a heartsick teenager as I tell him. Why do you want a boyfriend so badly? Revival asks, and then before I can even answer, it's not all that, you know. It's a pain in the ass to be a couple. Don't you remember? Of course I remember. I remember it's a pain in the ass, but I also remember that it's wonderful. How it feels to fall asleep beside the person you love each night. To have someone know you, really know you. It's worth the pain in the ass parts to me. I say, ever the saddest optimist. He smiles. I watch him put his clothes on. We kiss, and away he goes. When I lock the door, the first thing I think of is the man with the white shirt. His face, his smile, his smell. Him. How each moment with him felt like a gift. Something special for me, but never really mine to keep. A placeholder. A million dollar necklace to wear to the Oscars that you have to give back the next day so some other woman can have it for a night. Something that sparkles, casting a perfect glow on you before it turns and shines on someone else. You're listening to Alone, a love story, written by me, Michelle Parisi. It's a CBC podcast. The story editor is Mark Apollonio. Alone is mixed and produced by me and Mark here in our hometown of Toronto. Head over to cbc.ca slash alone. 
If you can believe it, I still have a lot more to say about each episode. More stories, a lot about music, and photos, too. You can also find me on Twitter at AloneCBC. Stick with me. I want to tell you about how it feels to get screen caps of your ex-husband's Tinder profile. Not great. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.